Who here has had a nightmare recently? Go ahead, confess, it's all right. Did you know that 90% even of adults have nightmares from time to time? Now, it's, a, it's an actual 100% for children. Children simply have nightmares. And if you've ever been a, a parent, you probably know, sometimes uh, letting them read scary stories, sometimes uh, you know, violent TV shows, those are the kinds of things that I think they, they kind of take into their dream world and the, the acting out, if you will, in their own minds or replaying of some of those you know, monster movies or whatever it is creates the nightmares. Now, you would think, though, that by the time we're adults, we know that Freddy Krueger isn't a real person, right? I mean, we know <laughs> that, that monsters don't exist. Or do we? Why do you think, even as adults from time to time, and again, the numbers are, are upwards of 75% of complete, complete adults still have nightmares? Why do you think that is? Well, leading psychologists suggest that it is still us working out in our heads some of the activities, some of the troublesome relationships, some of the, the tensions and stresses of our daily life. They're out picturing in our heads. And of course, our, our heads deal with imagery and symbols and things like that. So what you know, might appear as an angry boss on the outside during the day, right? There we might get Freddy Krueger at night. It's that, it's that symbol of maybe taken to extremes of something that is troublesome or, or worrisome. And also I would say, uh, dream research says that if for some reason we have nightmares that are particularly troublesome, and that even the statistics on that say that adults one in 10 adults will have repeating nightmares even. So if that's you, don't think that it's that rare of a situation where we might have a nightmare and a similar one in a few days and a week later, the same thing repeating again. And dream researchers say we can actually do something about it. Guess what we do about it? I was fascinated. First of all, can you think of the amount of studies and things that they have to do to sort of figure these things out, right? They probably have a, you know, a thousand university students writing down all their dreams and, and analyzing them. But, but the best way to stop reoccurring nightmares is in your waking life to rehearse alternative endings. And so, for instance, if you're having a, a reoccurring nightmare where, you, you know, you're being chased down a long haul by a menacing figure or whatever, they would say, in your waking life, rehearse it having a pleasant ending. Like you, you, you know, run through the doorway at the end and you find yourself in a beautiful park, let's say. Or, or maybe you're, uh, it's like an anxiety dream about public speaking or something like that and you keep finding yourself nude on stage or, you know, some, right? Because some anxiety or, or nightmares are, are about kind of shame-based kinds of things. And, and public speaking is actually something that a lot of people are afraid of. And so, you know, if you, you know, or maybe you joined Rotary or Toastmasters and it wouldn't be unheard of that the first few times you were going to present on stage, you might actually have nightmares about that. So what you would do is rehearse in your waking life, in your, in your own mind, 
how it would have a wonderful outcome. So you might picture yourself getting up on stage and everyone just having their socks knocked off by what a good speech you had or, or, or something like that. And the idea is, in our conscious mind, we're going to rehearse alternatives and then in our sleep life, when that might nightmare might come up again, well, we've already rehearsed a better ending. We've already pretended, we've already played our way into a different outcome. So that's how the dream researchers say we can turn a nightmare into something more positive. All right, I have another question for you, and this one might be harder to raise your hand on. Have you ever found yourself in a nightmare in real life? <laughs> have you? Okay, you are brave people, <laughs> right? We probably, most of us, have had an occasion where we simply found ourselves in life like it was a nightmare. I can still remember when I got sober. You know, I was a, a heavy drinker for, oh gosh, probably about 15 years of my adult life. I got sober, and you might think, phew, right? Good times are ahead. I just woke up to the nightmare that I was in, was the truth of it. I had a partner that was still drinking. I had bills that were stacked up when I wasn't paying attention to them. I had relationships that I had really messed up. There was all kinds of things that were wrong with my life at that point, and now I was sober enough to realize it. It was a nightmare. I mean, picture me coming home every day from work and finding my partner already half drunk in the house, right? And I'm trying to stay sober. A complete nightmare. I would like to suggest that maybe we can use some of what the dream researchers learned about switching nightmares in our sleeping life into what's going on in our waking life. Because I think in both cases, it's needing to change something on the inside so that we can get a different result on the outside. So me stopping drinking was, of course, a wonderful thing, right? And I was, when I first got sober, I was attending my nighting meetings in 90 days and doing all the things I needed to do. But you know what? All of that was on the outside. I was modifying my behaviors, but on the inside, I was still having a lot of the compulsive thinking. I was still having a lot of the, the less than wholesome thoughts about my life and other people and the way I was living. It was as though I was trying to do everything out here when what really needed to change was right up in here. And so I think that if we want to have a better outcome, if we want to get out of some of those nightmarish situations that we might find ourselves. You know, I'll, I'll even give you another example. So, so fast forward, uh, you know, I've been 10 years sober, and my mom gives me a call one day, and she says, uh, would you mind, like, coming down and spending a few days with me? Now, she was living on her own in an apartment in Newport, Oregon. I was up here in Portland. And, and, you know, we would check in on holidays, and she would always get the phone call, you know, on Sunday afternoons. And, you know, I was being the reasonable son, 
but I wouldn't say that we spend a tremendous amount of time together. So it kind of came out of the blue. Would you come down and visit me uh, in the next week or so? And so I said, sure. About three days later, I got a call from her apartment manager that said she couldn't get out of her chair. And so I hightailed it down there to discover that my mom had kind of hidden the fact that she had basically been homebound for six months. And suddenly I found myself in a nightmare, right? Here's someone that I loved perhaps more than anyone else in my life, living, barely living, and expecting me, of course, to take care of it. And I, of course, as the, the loving and wonderful son that I am, thought initially that I could, right? <laughs> that somehow I would make it all better, that I could take a few weeks off work and get things straightened around and we'd get her in physical therapy. And, and of course, what I realized pretty rapidly is we all get to make our life choices, choices even when they're not very useful. My mother didn't want to go to physical therapy. My mother felt done, finished. My mom had no desire to improve her diet. She was a type 2 diabetic on top of everything. We took her in to be tested, and that's why she was having such trouble as, well, gosh, her blood sugar was so low, she couldn't get out of the chair. And that was fine with her. Do you sense my nightmare? Okay, another situation where on the outside, we want to change whatever we can. We want, to, we want to turn this nightmare into something more positive. I want to make it better for me and for the people I love. And on the outside, often there's not a damn thing you can do. So let us practice rehearsing for a minute. This idea of rehearsing on the inside how we want a different outcome. Because it may not have an effect on other people. It may not change the outsides right away. But I do know if you want a lasting change, if you want to go from a drunk that just isn't drinking into a whole person again, it takes more than stopping the alcohol. If you want to get out of a sticky situation where you're feeling responsible and the people around you are, are not behaving the way you would imagine them to, it takes more than shaking a finger and, and arranging for home health care, right? <laughs> that doesn't magically turn the situation around. What's going to turn the situation around is a complete change in my own thinking. And so a couple examples. First of all, for me, in terms of uh, when I first got sober, I had to realize that my partner had the right to be drunk every night if he chose to be drunk every night. There was nothing that I was actually going to do about that. I could try an intervention, but I tell you, that man had already been in rehab four times already. And uh, sure, why not do an intervention? It was not going to change how I felt about the situation, though. It was not going to change that feeling of being trapped. I had to give that up, even though the outside hadn't changed yet. I had to recognize and practice the idea of what normal people might do in the evening. 
Now, I know those of you who maybe have never lived with an alcoholic before or been in a situation like that, you're like, what do you mean what normal people do in the evening? Well, Larry, normal people don't sit around waiting for their partner to fall on the floor so they can pick them up. Normal people don't go on a scavenger hunt for liquor bottles in the house every, every few days, right? Normal people like have hobbies. (laughs) Normal people watch TV and go to movies. (laughs) And I had to practice that. Now you might think, Larry, are you you really, you know, putting a shine on here? Is this, I did though. I have to actually tell you I had to take advice from some of my friends, and not advice in terms of would you tell me what to do, but advice in terms of just watching how more regular people live their lives. They go to movies, they they read books, they have fun. And I had to practice it. In the case of my mom, so very ill, you know what? She also had the right to eat herself to death if she chose to. Now, this is a terrible thing for a son to say, isn't it? And I got to tell you, I had to work through a lot of shame. I had to work through a lot of thinking there was something wrong for me. But when it comes right down to it, other people are going to do what other people are going to do. You can make allowances for them. You can set up meals on wheels. You can, uh, you know, comb through their refrigerator and throw out the ice cream. You can do all of those kinds of things that you know are right and good and wholesome. And that's doing things on the outside. And it is not apt to make a lasting change. And so in that case, I had to tell myself, you know, What actually should a loving son do in this situation and do no more than that? A loving son would make health care available. A loving son would make sure that her basic needs were going to be met. A loving son would be uh, available and attentive to what's going on with great compassion and not feel responsible not feel that her life somehow was dependent on me behaving in a certain way or showing up in a certain way. She had choices that she could make. And I got to tell you, once I started practicing that, there was not only a corresponding lightening, that sense of, oh my God, you know, I'm not responsible for the universe anymore. Remember that Greek guy that had like the whole world on his back? I got to tell you, when I started practicing self-care, when I started practicing really seeing that my mom had the ability to use her own connection to God instead of me dictating what that looked like, it was as though the weight of the world lifted off of my shoulders And I got to tell you something. She started improving as well. Now, how is this? She discovered that I wasn't responsible for her. And so she started taking responsibilities for herself. I wasn't the center of the universe. 
So what is this thing called practice? And how might we use it to improve? I think it's time for a joke. (laughs) If I can find it here. All right. So two weeks before their anniversary, a woman started having reoccurring dreams. In it, her husband would take her out on the town for a lovely evening. And although the dream date might vary a bit in her night-to-night affairs, it always ended with him giving her a small package containing a diamond necklace as an anniversary present. Well, after about a week of having these dreams every night, she couldn't help but mention it to her husband. What did he think the dream meant? Did he believe that dreams might foretell the future? Well, her husband was kind of shocked at first, not quite what to think. But you know, after a bit, a smile crept onto his face, and he said, you'll just have to wait and see, won't you? So several more nights, she had the dream again, and the day of the anniversary arrives, her husband calls her from work and says, honey, make sure you have the evening free. And he gets home with tickets to a lovely play, reservations at a wonderful restaurant. They have the most amazing date night together. They come home, The lights are lowered. He lights a fire in the fireplace. And there, on the coffee table, a small gold-wrapped box. Well, her heart melts. She opens the box and finds a book entitled The Meaning of Dreams. So the first thing we have to do is realize that we are neither responsible for other people nor are they responsible for us, right? If we are going to have our dream of a life, it is totally up to us. And regardless of what the situation is, regardless of what maybe society says, regardless of how you've encountered things before, if you want to make a shift in your life on the outside, it's up to you to make the shift in your life on the inside. You might start asking yourself, how do happy people feel? What do happy people do? When people are free, what kind of activities do they do? What kind of feelings do they have to do? It's all right to ask questions. You may have been stuck in some kind of mental prison for a really long time. You may be feeling downtrodden for years. You may feel like you're kind of, kind of the butt of the universe in some way and have been that way for some time, and the shift happens inside. The shift is you beginning to imagine, beginning to live a different kind of dream. And I think I have a place that we might want to start. If you're willing, I would like to lead you in just a little bit of a visioning exercise. And so I would invite you, if you will, uh, maybe to close your eyes for a moment. Just get receptive. Uh, What I know about visioning, and it's sort of a contemplative exercise, what I know about visioning is that if if we hold still for a moment, that voice of clarity and reason from God or Spirit itself 
can enter into our awareness. And, and you might think of it as, uh, as uh, inner awareness. You might think of it as a s still, small voice inside. You might think of it as your own uh, imagination. But, but what I know is you're plugged into something greater than just you. And so just rest easily for a moment. Close your eyes if you feel called. Feel that expanded consciousness beyond just your own mind. Sense yourself expanding out into the universe a little bit, ready to listen. And I'd like to ask you a question. What is spirit's highest idea for a fulfilling life? And you might personalize this by saying, me, what is spirit's highest idea for my most fulfilling life? And allow the thoughts and ideas to come to you gently, easily, is it a dream of success? Is it a dream of love and connection? What is your life in its fulfillment? Picture this, this dream to come, this way of life that is guaranteed you if we shift that thinking. How does it look? What does it feel like? It can be the next evolution of your life. And now I ask, what must change in me to better experience this life? The changes start on the inside. And so we ask, what must change in me to experience this life of fulfillment? Are there things I have to give up? Are there new ways of practicing? How can I change to experience this life of fulfillment? And next we ask, what quality of God might I embrace to prepare me for this new life? Is it love? Is it joy? If you could summarize what you are to embrace in one or two words, what would they be? Is it authentic power? Is it peace or harmony? What quality of the divine might you embrace to better usher in this life of fulfillment?
And our last question, what is the next step in the evolution of my life? Each journey, each new chapter begins with that next step, with that next opening paragraph. We ask simply, what is that next step? So that we may begin to look for it. I'm going to close tonight with a quote of Ernest Holmes, the founder of the Science of Mind. This comes from his book, Richer Living, published in 1953. He says, Fear begins and ends with the mind of the one thinking it. The nightmare of its binding and restricting thought is broken as we turn to a belief in the goodness of God, the presence of our own creative mind, and a feeling of pure love. As we do this, a peace steals upon us and a faith rises up within us once again. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one life and one love. I call this thing God or Spirit, Allah, the Divine Feminine, Regardless of its name, it is truly everywhere present, in, around, and through everyone, everything, all of our experiences. God, too, is there. And so on this evening, I declare for myself that willingness to see beyond any, any seeming nightmare into a new way of being. A willingness on my part to change things on the inside in order to have a better life on the outside. I allow, allow other people to be and to choose what they choose to be. I don't try to do for others. I focus on becoming my best self yet. And as it is true for me, I know without question it is true for each person in this room. Each person here has that capability of dreaming themselves the most marvelous life, filled with love, filled with joy, using their own creative mind to bring about great joy, great peace, great fulfillment. And for this, I am grateful. For this, I'm just blessed in seeing the hand of God at work in this very room. And in gratitude, I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. I, I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Happy dreams. <laughs>